0: Everyone knows the second reading very well because nine out of 10 weddings, that's the reading for the second reading at a wedding because everybody loves it because it's poetic and beautiful. And it's so good that it even trickles out into pop culture without people realizing that they're hearing something from scripture. And weddings are nice, right? There's a lot of joy on a wedding day. People are generally happy at a wedding day, people kind of set aside all the problems of their life to rejoice with the couple, celebrating their love, the hope that we have for their future, of their future family, and everything that comes with that. But sometimes, sometimes I just wanna take that couple and I wanna say, listen, and listen good. You and I both know 40 to 50% of marriages end in divorce. If you do not start letting God inspire and nourish your love for each other, if you don't start learning how to sacrifice your own desires for the good of your spouse, you are going to be a statistic. But I can't say that, can I? Is it true? Yes. Can I say it? No. Should I say it? No. But in a certain sense, isn't that kind of what Jesus does in the gospel today? Right? This Sunday is a continuation of last Sunday's gospel. And we get a little bit of overlap at the beginning of the gospel. So basically, Jesus comes to Nazareth. He goes to the synagogue. He takes out the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. And he reads from it the prophecy of the coming of the Messiah and tells them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. I'm the Messiah. And the response to everybody of everybody in hearing that, believe it or not, most people when they hear that Jesus claims to be the Messiah, they get upset. But today the people are amazed at what he's saying, at the gracious words coming from his mouth. But then he keeps talking and he says, listen, let me tell you the truth. There was a time where there were many widows in Israel, and there was a great famine. God didn't help any of the widows in Israel. He only helped a widow from Zarephath, that neighboring country. And there are many lepers in the land of God in Israel, and God healed none of them except for Naaman, the Syrian, who was not a believer in God. And when they heard that, they were enraged. To the point of wanting to take Jesus to a cliff and push him off and end his life right there. This wasn't news to them. These are stories, what Jesus told them, were stories from their own scriptures. They knew those stories. They knew that truth. But when they heard it, it made them angry. So what do we do with that? For us as Christians, a simple truth is exceedingly difficult to live is that we speak the truth in love and we love in truth that's what we strive for striving to hold those two in balance or hold those two in tension whenever we are in relationship with others why because we know that god is love and jesus tells us that he is he is the way the truth and the life. God is love. Jesus is truth. The Father and the Son abide. And so there is no way to separate one from the other. You could maybe say that there's primacy in love because St. Paul says today the greatest of these is love. But even if there is a primacy to love, you can never love without truth. They are inseparable. They abide they stay together. Because what happens is if you love without truth, it turns into sentimentality and loses its power. If you speak truth without love, then it simply becomes accusation. And when you accuse somebody of something, what good comes from that? Nothing. Think of it in this way. Think of A bunch of people out in the middle of the ocean, what saves the people from the terrors of the ocean and gathers them together? A ship. If people are put on a ship, it protects them from the threats of the ocean and gathers them together. That's love. But if that ship doesn't have an engine and it doesn't have a rudder, even if they are on that ship in the middle of the ocean, they're eventually going to die because there's no life out there. They need the engine and the rudder of the ship to give direction and purpose to that ship, to take them to some place where there is life. That's truth. You need the two together, they work hand in hand to bring about what God intends through all this, which is nice. But it's super hard to live. Because inevitably what each one of us does is we tend more to one side or the other. We tend more towards love or more towards truth. Which means that we tend more towards sentimentality or we tend more towards accusation. I lean towards sentimentality. And if we stop and think about it, we know it gets us into trouble. When we don't have that balance, we know it gets us into trouble. If we're too sentimental about our love, it doesn't actually help the other person that we're trying to love. If we're too accusatory in the way that we try to speak truth to people that we care about, we know that it just drives them away. Interiorly, we know that there needs to be a balance and a tension between those two things, but it's hard hard to find. So two suggestions today to keep in mind to maybe help as we strive to speak truth and love and to love in truth. The first is to think of it as providing a remedy for the other person that you're speaking to, right? If you go to see a doctor, what does the doctor do? He listens to all of your symptoms. He listens, he, she listens to whatever's going on with you. And the doctor trusts what you're telling them. Then the doctor might do a couple of tests to see what might be underlying what you're experiencing and what you're feeling. Right? What facts can he draw out from whatever your emotional state is because of what your illness is? Or your symptoms, what are they speaking about that's wrong within you? And then once he has both your testimony and the facts that underlie it, then he proposes a remedy. Then the doctor, he or she, once given that, says, try this for this amount of time, and then if it doesn't work, come back and see. me." And so when we're trying to speak truth and love, or to love in truth, Think of it as a remedy, because what we do when we try to give it as a remedy, even though we're probably going to do it imperfectly, what it takes away is the temptation of, I'm telling you my truth. Instead of saying, I want you to find the truth, I'm telling you what the truth is. And instead of, this is how I think you need to be loved, we move away from that towards, I'm trying to love you. And that makes a huge difference. Because the moment somebody feels like you're telling them what you believe to be true, when somebody hears that you are trying to love them, when maybe they're not ready to be loved, what do they do? They get defensive. Think of speaking the truth in love, of loving in truth, as a remedy for the person that you care for. The second is back to Jesus. I don't know if this is 100% true because I haven't done a chapter by chapter analysis, but when Jesus speaks harshly, the only time that I can think of that he speaks harshly to an individual is St. Peter when he tells them, get behind me, Satan. Every other time that I can think of that Jesus speaks harshly, like in the gospel today, it's to a crowd of people. He speaks harshly to the scribes and the Pharisees, but he doesn't speak harshly to a scribe or a Pharisee. The only time he does that is to his closest friend, St. Peter, in that established relationship. I think one of the reasons that might be true is because if you speak harshly to a group, you are not imposing shame and guilt on them. If somebody feels guilt, then that's coming more from within them. Right, if I speak harshly to all of you, if you feel guilty, that's on you. But if I single somebody out, and say, you are this, then I am imposing shame and guilt on them. And that is a burden that we have no right to place on anyone. So when you strive to speak truth and love and love and truth, keep that in mind. That when Jesus comes to a person one-on-one, what does he usually bring to them? Almost always. Always compassion and understanding. Does no one else condemn you? Neither do I. Go and sin no more. Because we have no right to place a burden of shame and guilt. Guilt can be a good thing if it rises up from within and it drives us to what is true. But we don't have a right to place that on somebody else. It's a hard thing to live. But what our litmus test might be, or what our mirror might be back to us if we're actually living this, is what we hear from St. Paul today. It's our barometer for what true love is. Are we talking about true love? True, truth. Love and truth, what is it? Well, love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or arrogant or rude. If one of these is not present, then it's not true love. Love does not insist on its own way. It's not my way or the highway. It is not irritable or resentful, holding things against the other person because they won't come around. It does not rejoice in wrong. There's no I told you so's ever. But it rejoices in the right. Love bears all things. It believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things because it never ends. This is the truth of love. And if any one of those elements is missing in us, then we can be assured that I have not learned what the love of God is yet. And I have more to grow. And so in that struggle of speaking truth and love to the people that I care about, of loving them truly, it's a reminder that we always have room for more which means that we will avoid the temptation of insisting on our own way, of becoming irritable and resentful when that doesn't go in the way that we think it should, because God is love and Jesus is the truth. And in striving to come to know them more deeply, we come to know how to speak the truth in love and to love in truth.